0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me for a new series from Pastor Jeff Vines. He's talking about renovations of the heart. In this first part, Pastor Jeff explains the journey of this series as we explore the Christian faith, what Jesus taught, and how we are to live. To catch this series or hear other sermons like this, search for today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to your podcasts. For now, let's join Pastor Jeff in John chapter 7 for some renovations of our heart.
1: We start a new series, and this is going to be quite a journey. Turn in the Bible, if you would, John chapter 7, John 7, verses 37 through 39, just a couple of verses, somewhat obscure, but just a wealth of knowledge in these couple of verses that gets us started here. Ben Carson was speaking not too long ago when he uh, told the story, it was one of the national prayer breakfasts, and he said that he, his, mother, his grandmother had turned 90 years old, imagine that, 90 years old, and he wanted to send her a birthday present, so he went out and bought two very expensive parrots, $5,000 each, because they were, well, they, they were very special, they could, they could uh, sing, they could dance, they could talk, and he sent his grandmother these parrots for, a, for her 90th birthday, he didn't hear from her, and a couple of weeks went by. And finally, after about two weeks, he called her and said, "Mom, what did you think about? Or Grandma, what did you think about the uh, the, the the parrots?" She goes, "Oh, they were fantastic! They were so delicious!" <laughs> and of course, he said, "You're not. You weren't supposed to eat them. Those were five thousand dollars a piece. They can sing, they can dance, they can talk." And she said, "Well, they should have said something." <laughs> <laughs> You know, I I think that for pastors, uh, there are times when there's something in our heart and we know something inside tells us we should say something, but we don't. And because we don't, then we end up in a position where we really didn't want to be. While I was on my study break, I read an article and it had one of those impacting, life-defining moments. It said that the split between faith and life is unprecedented among American Christians. And basically, the article went on to say that for some reason in our modern America, our modern world, we're professing faith in Jesus Christ, but when we go out to live our lives, it's having little to no impact on us. The article said that we profess faith in Jesus, but we simply don't live any differently from those who do not profess faith in Jesus. And to make matters worse, the article suggests that we're not faring or any better or any differently than non-believers in the hot-button topics of culture and society, like divorce and abortion and sexual purity and social injustice and racism and debilitating addictions. He says the statistics are more or less the same for both the Christ follower and the non-Christ follower. And the author goes on to say that this is absolutely scandalous. He says that never has there been a time that he can remember in American history where those who proclaim faith in Jesus have segmented their faith from their everyday life. That what they believe in private is having no impact, serious impact, noticeable impact on how they live their lives every day. And he says, as a result, because our lives are really not that different than anybody else, we're not compelling people toward faith in Christ. And the article doesn't really give any answers to it. It's just kind of an article of of darkness, of bad news, that faith, the bottom line, is no longer influencing the way we live our lives. That hit me pretty hard. And He says, to make matters worse, we justify our hypocrisy with the cavalier statements like, well, nobody's perfect. Therefore, the grace of God go I. I'm only flesh and blood, or my favorite one I've heard recently, I'm a cafeteria Christian. I pick and choose what I want. And I started thinking as I read the article, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do if he had just preached the Sermon on the Mount and some dude comes up to him and says, man, Jesus, you were on fire. That was fantastic preaching, man. Social media is lit up. You were awesome. I mean, this is new stuff. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pursue humility and righteousness Treat everybody the same, love your neighbor as yourself, forgive those who offend you. That was great, Jesus, inspirational, awesome stuff, but you're not serious, are you? (laughs) I mean, you really don't expect us to love our enemies, right? To pray for those who mistreat us, to remain sexually pure, to seek first the kingdom of God, to love my neighbor as myself, to live a sacrificial life, to live a life of great generosity, to be selfless be more concerned with others than I am my own life. Come on, Jesus. I mean, really, this is the world. And everybody knows there's a disconnect between faith and life. What I believe in private doesn't really impact to a great degree how I live my life. What would Jesus do? What would he say? Do you think he would condemn this guy? Do you think he would condemn us modern Christians and say, you guys, man, you're in so much trouble? I don't think so. Because Jesus' strongest words in the Bible were for those who thought they were righteous, but really weren't. Not for those who knew they weren't righteous and had given up trying to get there because nobody had taught them how. I believe this is the time of divine mercy, not judgment. I believe Jesus would look at us and notice this tug of society that is godless. I think he would see the temptations and their power to draw us in that the temptations of our time are sophisticated and at our fingertips. I think he would understand the wiles of the devil, the prince of the power of the air, and how many of us are being sucked out of the kingdom of God into the kingdom of the world. And I think rather than condemn us, he would want to teach us, that he would want to address the core of our failure to live out the gospel in everyday lives. I believe he would teach rather than condemn. Now, let me take just a moment Anytime we do a new series, I've got to lay some groundwork. And it's important that you remember this throughout every phase of this series. And I got to tell you, this is going to be a journey, a great journey for us over the next six to seven weeks, because a fundamental problem with the disconnect between faith and life is that the church has ceased to teach what the faith really is. The word faith in the Bible is used two ways. One, faith is in trust. I believe in Christ. I have faith in him. But there's another way that it's used. It's used as the faith to describe the body of doctrine that is to be believed by the Christ follower. The faith is a summation of what Jesus taught concerning the manner in which you and I should live. Let me give you some verses. First Timothy 3, 9 says, they must keep hold of deep truths, the faith. The deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. The body of doctrine taught by Jesus. In 1 Timothy 6, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and so doing have departed from the faith. What is the faith? It's what Jesus taught concerning how you and I are to live. Now, the reason this is important is because we live in a society now, we tend to go right for the heart bypassing the head. Okay, Here's how things happen in scripture. Jesus taught a truth and you would affirm it here. And because of this truth, you would have emotions in your heart. And because your heart was melted by a truth that Jesus taught, it would impact the way you live your life. Now what we've done, we were such an existential culture that we base everything on feeling. We go right past the head thinking that truth is not important. And as long as I can have an emotional experience of some kind, and then I'll go live life. That doesn't work for very long. Unless the heart knows why it believes what it believes. Any kind of devotion is temporary at best. Let me give you an example. When I was in seminary, I told you I grew up in a church that was incredibly legalistic. I mean, if I, I was taught that if you didn't go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, in, in a small group, in, in every service project, that you were going straight to hell. <laughs> Now, how happy and joyful is a person who believes that God is forever seated up in heaven, erasing your name from the book of life every time you mess up? How much joy can you really have about being a Christian in that? Not much. Not much. I went to seminary. I was 30 years old, and I sat in a seminary classroom and heard Dr. Jack Cottrell talk about the doctrine of grace. Now, this is is part of the body of teaching that Jesus taught. And for the first time... I understood Romans 1 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So it's not my power, it's God's power. First to the Jew, and to the Gentile, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And I had learned enough this by this time to know that you were righteous before God one of two ways, by keeping the law perfectly or paying the penalty for breaking it. But I didn't want to pay the penalty for breaking it because the wages of sin is death. And Suddenly, I'm reading that in the gospel, which means good news, the righteousness of God, his righteousness is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, from the first person to the last person. The righteous will live by faith. And For the first time, I began to understand that my acceptance before God was not based on how good I was, but on the reality that Jesus died for my sin, thus paid the penalty, my penalty, for breaking God's law, and now I was in good standing with God. And now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, what happened to a young 30 year old man when, for the first time in his life, he realized that God loved him and accepted him, not on the basis of his own goodness, but on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross? I began to literally weep. I, all my life, I've been trying to please God, appease God is the better word, appease him, give him sacrifices. And now I knew that I was saved by grace through faith. Now, let me ask you something what did that do? Did I stop going to church and stop worshiping? No. Now I wanted to do it even more because I wasn't looking for a loophole. I was really pursuing God. And now I learned that God accepted me and loved me and it did this incredible thing for me. Now I really wanted to be around God. I wanted to worship, but for different reasons. I wanted to be in church, but for different reasons. I wanted to read the word, but for different reasons. The church has ceased to teach people the faith. And when you do that, well, listen, the heart will feel what the head believes, right? And if the truth is not believed by the head, think about the erroneous. Now, I know emotions aren't either immoral or moral. They're amoral. Emotions are what they are emotions. But when they line up with something that is false... You know what happens? Let me give you a couple examples. When we were on our study break, we were in Charleston, South Carolina, and we visited these plantations. The Middleton Plantation really stands out. It was beautiful. Acres and acres and acres, and they're historic sites now. These people were wealthy, and they passed down the land from generation to generation. What else did they pass down? Slaves. They owned hundreds and thousands of slaves. And the tour guide took us to this little building and said, this is the church. This was the church, the original church of the slaves. The masters would allow them to have Sunday off so they could go and worship. And she started talking about that as if that were a good thing. She said, you know, other slave owners wouldn't even give their slaves Saturday or Sunday off, but these were Christian slave owners. And so they would have Sunday off. And I thought to myself, here's a novel idea. Let them go. You'll get, but the, what, what happened there? The head of so many of those southern plantation owners believed that slaves were not anything more than property. They weren't, they, they weren't human. They weren't people. And so the heart held no remorse on the way that they treated them, and it demonstrated itself in the way they lived their lives. Same thing happened during the Holocaust. The Aryan nation persecuted, exterminated Jews because they believed the Jews would Corrode and tarnish the pure bloodline of the Aryan race. And so the head truly believed that Jews were not people. They were less than, worse than dogs. So therefore there was no remorse when they killed them all. No remorse. And it impacted the way they lived their lives. Now be careful if you're out there and you're saying, see, that's why I'm not a Christian. See, remember the cross became a swastika during the Second World War. In many German churches, their ultimate allegiance transferred from God to Hitler in churches. So, somebody will say, That's why I'm not a Christian right there. Well, hold on a minute. You're also forgetting that it was William Wilberforce who fought for 17 years for the abolition of the slave trade in Europe. It it was the Christians who finally said, Enough is enough. In the South, we forget that the North took up arms. Abraham Lincoln said, Enough is enough. All men are created equal. How valuable is the truth? Mark Twain said this, it's not what you don't believe that gets you into trouble, it's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So as we go through the series, it's important that the church get back to teaching the body of faith that Jesus taught to go beyond just trying to make you feel good, but to actually teach you so that your heart will line up with truth, the truth of Christ that will impact your life. And so we start with something so important. We start with this entire idea, understanding there's a disconnect between faith and life. And we're asking, how is it that we as Christ followers who really want to live the life Christ has called us to live, why is it that we don't? And the reason that we don't is we don't understand how that comes about. And it comes about, according to Scripture, through a thing called regeneration. Now, you're not going to find that word in the Bible, and I'm going to change it to renovation because it's the same idea. I think Jesus will be okay with that. This is divine instruction. This is the year of mercy. Jesus said, when you become a Christian, it starts right here. I can't build on anything until we start here. That when you became a Christ follower, something unique happened. The Spirit of God came inside you and began to renovate you, change you. And so Jesus stands up in John 7, this glorious passage, and says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, and whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. By this, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. So while Jesus was on planet Earth, he was limited to time and space. It was a self-limitation, nevertheless. When he went to the Father, then the Spirit of God could come into the heart and the mind and the lives of every believer. And so Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4... He said, everyone who drinks this water, the water you're getting from this well, will be thirsty again. But I tell you that whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water, willing up to eternal life, eternal living. Now, stay with me. Jesus taught, and I'm trying to get into your head here so that you'll understand what you should be feeling and how it will line up and then how you will live your life. Jesus said that when you become a Christ follower, when you say, yes, yes to Jesus that this transformation that has already begun it starts to well up within you and the old king james translates the word curleos to the center the core everything inside that place that's the essential you down deep inside that place that gets tied up in knots when you're anxious that place that gets scared to death when you're afraid of something or the or the place that makes your temples throb when you're really angry that place down deep inside the real essential you that place out of your belly will flow living water. And Jesus is saying right down in your gut, right down in the essential you, you'll start to flow with energy and hope and love and power and purpose and fulfillment. All those things, there's this renovation that will start to occur. And it occurs in everyone. And what was once dead will begin to live. Again, the Bible refers to that process as regeneration, not the word, but the activity, renovation. And how good is it? Listen now, the Bible says, Jesus said it's so good, it's such a good thing when you understand it, that there were people who when they get it, they will sell everything they have to get it. They will leave everything behind to pursue it. And when they find it, they will treasure it for all of eternity. To what can I compare this living water? It's like the lotto ticket that finally pays off. It's like getting an envelope with... Ed McMahon's picture on the front that says, you may have already won $8 million. And you open it up and you discover, I've actually won $8 million. You know, to what can we compare this living water in the kingdom? It's like a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer who barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up from the ground came a bubbling crude. That's what it's like. But what exactly is this living water? Well, he says in verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So renovation, when you become a Christ follower, renovation is the Spirit of God coming on the inside of you to transform you. Now, here's what you're going to be doing right now. I know, especially those who have been Christians for a long time, you say, okay, Jeff, I got it, I got it, but how does it work? Because I got to tell you, if the Spirit of God is in me, he's been preoccupied because I don't see a lot of change. The living water, if it's in me, it's stagnant. I don't feel the flow. And my advice to you is one, slow down first. I can't do everything in one sermon. The thing we need to do this weekend is simply say three things. Number one, renovation is possible. And don't you think it's sorely needed? Don't you think we need this? We need transformation from the inside out so that we no longer segment faith and life so that we're actually living out what we say we believe. And we start to understand what it is, that the body of doctrine of belief that Jesus taught. I'm just finishing this book called Shake Hands with the Devil. It's written by Romeo Delaire, who was the force commander of the UN assistance mission to Rwanda from 1993, 1994. He was sent to oversee the transitional government between the two fighting factions, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And it was an exciting uh, job and assignment for him. But as you read the book, that's some 500 pages, as he takes you through the entire step, he was there a couple of months in Rwanda before he realized that the Hutus had been orchestrating the genocide long before he got there. And they were just mouthing the right words, but down deep inside, they were planning to exterminate one million Tutsis in 90 days. He said that things he saw were so evil that it's still with him. It took him 20 years after the event to write the book, that he still sees things in his dreams and in his vision, that churches were safe havens for people to be able to come into. They had always been that way in Africa, and the priests would stand and guard the door, and if you were in a church, you were protected. but the Hutu militia, the young militia who had been trained with machetes burst through the church doors, would slay the priest and the nuns, and then systematically, one by one, slice up the Tutsis. After these events, at one point, somebody asked him, do you believe in God? After all these things that you've seen, do you believe in God? He said, absolutely, because I've shaken hands with the devil. The thing about evil is that you begin to understand that if evil is real, so is good. And when you see the contrast, you run to it. Now here's the point. And I know this sounds like a a transition that is troubling, but I'm really concerned about my country. I'm proud to be an American. You know that. I bleed red, white, and blue. But I never thought that corruption would come to America to the degree that it's in our country right now. I never thought it would happen. I thought that only happened in other places. Where are the truth tellers of our nation? Where are the great leaders who will not simply tell you and me what they think we want to hear to get our vote, but will actually tell us what it is they truly think and what they truly believe? Where are the leaders who actually care about the nation, that they don't just care about money and power and position, they actually care and want our nation to do well, who are thinking about generations not only in the present, but those who are to come, where are those leaders who will pass legislation that brings prosperity back to our country? Where are they? Where are the selfless, sacrificial, sacred attitudes of the past? Where are they? I'm, I'm, I'm concerned.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: This is going to be a journey because a fundamental problem with the disconnect between faith and life is that the church has ceased to teach what the faith really is. The word faith in the Bible is used two ways. One, faith is in trust. I believe in Christ. I have faith in Him. But there's another way that it's used. It's used as the faith to describe the body of doctrine that is to be believed by the Christ follower. You can listen to more messages like this.
0: Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I bring. I will break this up. You are my one. You bring the one. Today. 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 With Jeff Vines.